Well, good evening. What a fitting song to kick our service off tonight uh, with. And after the follow-up from the message uh, message this morning, at the end of the service, uh, I I was telling the telling the family at lunch today. I, I'm I'm always interested to see how God just weaves things together. Tonight continues that that theme because of the snow. We had set up for Doug and Rich to come and. Doug really just wanted to remind our congregation that we do have uh, we do have benevolent monies and benevolent process and just just make sure that that everyone was aware um, that we have uh, we have this opportunity and to encourage people to avail themselves you know of it and then also our widows ministry so Rich was going to come along and then that was delayed. Uh, because of the the snow, and so the Lord just brought those to the message and that announcement together in a in just a very beautiful way. And then tonight we're Revelation 18, which is the destruction of the Antichrist economy, and so the theme continues uh, tonight. And we're going to see um, that those who place their trust in riches. And in the political system and whatever it might be in the world, it's all going to come crashing down one day. And that's going to be part of God's judgment. Before we get there, um, we're going to pray. We're going to take up our offering. And then Brother John Alley is going to uh, is going to lead us in uh, in some singing in, uh, in just a minute. So if you'll bow your heads, we'll go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, I thank you that your word is so clear. I thank you that it is uh, it is available to us. It's not some mysterious book with with sayings and and uh, chants and obscure things that that we need some high and mighty guru to help us to understand. It's uh, it's so plain that a child can, can grasp and understand it, and yet it is so deep, the greatest theological mind could never plumb its depths. And so, Father, as we come tonight to, to hear it, uh, I, I understand that, there's, that there are two parts, two human parts. There's the preaching, there's the preacher, the one who will make it plain and clear, and then there's the hearer. And so, Father, I pray, again, even for myself tonight, help me to make it clear, um, to uh, to just make it plain in such a way that your people understand um, and that we rejoice in what what you say. Um, and Father, I also pray for everyone here to listen. Help us to pursue, not be spiritually lazy, um, but actually dig into your word. It is the word of the living God. It it transforms our lives. It's foretelling uh, exactly what's going to take place on the earth one day. Help us to not be distracted and and uh, be uncaring uh, with just our minds drifting to trivial things. Focus us on the truth tonight. Bless as we give and as we sing, and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great things about not leading songs every week is you could pick out your favorites to sing whenever you do get to lead the song. And so this first one is one of my favorites. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Y'all stay seated while the offering is being taken. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. Precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Thank you, O my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, hope for sinners slain. 
Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. When I stand in glory, I will see his face. There I'll serve my King forever in that holy place. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Thank you, oh my Father, for giving us your Son and leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Amen. The next one we'll go ahead and stand up for. Come thou fount of every blessing on this one. If you want, you can look in your hymnals at page 26. Page 26. That way the words go off the screen. We still got the hymnals there too. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain, fix upon it, out of thy redeeming love. Here I raise my sign of victory, hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Amen. Gracing in our last one, just turn over one page in your hymnal. This is my father's world. Those that know me well know I like to grow things. I like to grow food in my yard, my vegetables, my fruit trees. And I always think of that. This song, when I've seen that outside, I see the work the Lord has done. This is my father's world. This is my father's world. And to my listening ears. All nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. This is my Father's world. I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees, of skies and seas. His hand the wonders wrought. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their Maker's praise. This is my Father's world, He shines in all that's fair, in the rustling I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. Get it one day. This is my father's world. Oh, let me never forget. 
that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied than everyone. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Amen. You may be seated. Well, thank you, John. You played my favorite song, uh, the second one, and it is uh, it is great. That and "Be Thou My Vision" probably my two favorite two favorite hymns. But that's kind of like picking a favorite Bible verse, right? You just love them all if they sing about the Lord Jesus. Well, Revelation chapter eighteen is where we are going to to be tonight. And um, I was reminded of this of this chapter, and just a foretaste of what's going to come recently, uh, literally just about two weeks ago. Whenever I came to uh, uh, to go to a, a, a college fund that was set up years ago for uh, Olivia and Nathan, and I went to pay their tuition at Liberty University. And those of you who have paid tuition at Liberty University know that it is not cheap to go there, and I have double trouble, as they, as they say. And so, this, this, uh, this money has been invested in the stock market. And if you were paying attention to the news, which I'm not sure I would encourage you to do that, the month of December, there was a significant drop, wasn't there? When I went to pull the funds to order the money, I was looking at a September 2018 quarterly statement because I hadn't received the, the one in uh, the end of the year yet, and the numbers didn't match, let me tell you. It had about a 25% drop in one month. Now, thankfully, about 5 or 7% of that has has come back, and I will hope that it will continue to come back. But I didn't pull the money out because I didn't want to lose that that type of, of interest. All of you in here probably remember something that was even worse, the, the financial crisis of 2007-2008. It, it was likely not until the first year of President Trump's tenure that your 401Ks actually came back to full strength. And that was almost 10 years later. It was caused by a number of, of factors, but it was actually started with basically, if you want to oversimplify it, people overborrowing, overborrowing for mortgages and then banks approving those, those loans. And with a higher number of eligible buyers, the home prices went up. The more buyers, fewer homes, higher prices. That's, that's the way that it works. And higher home values then led to homeowners borrowing more money because, as you know, they give you a percentage of whatever the, whatever the home is, is worth. And, and yet, as, as you all know, what goes up must come down. And come down, it, it did. People started defaulting, and then bank securities dropped in, in value, and then home prices plunged, and after home prices plunged, People now had higher loans than what the, the house was worth. You probably heard the term underwater. So they owed more than what they could actually sell the, sell the home for. And then world stock markets that were heavily invested in the financial sector plummeted because of the decline. And then that set off the, the cycle, leading to less spending and then foreclosures and unemployment and, and eventually a recession. The crisis, they say, cost $16 trillion 
uh, in wealth. Now, I can't even comprehend that, that kind of money. I can't even visualize that many zeros in my head. But just to, to put it in perspective, there was a federal study that calculated the financial crisis of 2007-2008 actually cost every single American, every single one, $70,000 in, in wealth. Now, I can get my head around, around that number. And I want to say, so that's where that money went. But, but I don't know that, uh, that I ever had $70,000 to begin with to miss. But, but however they came up with that number, it was about $70,000 per person. Some of you in here, I think some of you in here, experienced uh, or can remember the effects of the Great Depression. Maybe Mark Hager was alive during the Great Depression. There he is. Well, there's coming an economic collapse like none the world has ever seen. And it's going to cost much more than $70,000 a person. It's going to devastate the world's economy and it will never recover. It's not going to come back 5% or 7%. There's not going to be a Donald Trump who's going to save it. It's going down and it's never Coming back. And God describes this judgment in Revelation chapter 18. So if you're not there, turn there with me. Revelation chapter 18. With the armies of the world gathered, the seven bold judgments unleashed, we're waiting for the coming of the king and the final battle. And that's chapter 19. And I have been moving through Revelation, looking forward to Revelation 19. And we, I mean, we are right there. I mean, we're going to hear King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're going to hear the marriage supper of the Lamb in just a few, a few weeks. But before we do, God gives us a closer look at the counterfeit system of the world that He destroys. And you know, during the period of just prior to Christ's coming, the Antichrist will rule the world with two systems, a religious one and a political or economic one. And if you think about it, that makes sense because those are two of the most powerful influencers of human beings, religion and economics or politics. They say that there are two things that you should never discuss at dinner, right? Religion and politics. And you should understand politics is ultimately about money. And everyone has an opinion about them because they matter to people. Religion and money are the two influencers of the human heart. And that's what the Antichrist will use in order to control unbelievers. And he'll have a one world religion that we saw in chapter 17 of Revelation. It will end not with less religion. The world will end not with less religion, but but more. It's going to be very spiritual. It's just going to not have the power of God. Everyone will be spiritual, but it will be a form of godliness and deny the the power thereof. And the Antichrist will prop up all human religious leaders of the world and they'll agree to cooperate with one great system. But after influencing everyone, he will turn on them because he's going to desire to be worshipped himself. And so the beast that the harlot rides on will devour her, as we saw last time. And there will be a single religion led by and focused on the Antichrist himself. That's the second half of the tribulation period. The other system will be an economic and political one that's described in this chapter. There will not only be a one world religion, there will be a one world economy. And I would say in John's time or after John's time, probably prior to 1970, you would think, how could that be? But now you totally understand how there can be a one-world economy. We already have global uh, influence even now. Everything is, everything is connected together. Everyone will cooperate, and it will be capitalistic in nature. Revelation 18 shows us that the, the end single economy will not be socialism, will not be communism, because they don't work anyway, it's going to be capitalistic and it's going to be very corrupt capitalism. And as we're going to see tonight, it's going to be tied to the Antichrist empire. Just like the religious system of chapter 17, the economic system is going to be destroyed. And when it falls, it's going to make the Great Depression look like the best days on the planet. It will be global 
It's not going to be a depression. It's going to be an absolute outright collapse of everything, of currency, of stock markets, of, of companies, of government, the basic necessities that are required to live like food. People will do anything to obtain. Inflation will be so high that, that gold will be worthless. All of the Roslyn capital or whatever you see, buy gold, buy this to protect. It's not going to protect you from Revelation 18. You're going to need water. You're going to need food. You're going to need a roof over your head. And it's going to devastate those that trust in it. And rather, rather, rather than turn to God, when the rug's pulled out from under them, people will hate him more. And that's going to set up the great battle that you're going to see in Revelation 19. Let's read and see what we can learn, how God describes it and how he brings it down. Revelation 18. After these things, I saw another angel. That's John. John sees another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illumined by his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And she has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of unclean and hateful bird. Of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. He'll pay her back even as she has paid, and give back to her double according to her deeds. In the cup which she has mixed, he'll mix twice as much for her. To the degree that she has glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I'm not a widow. And I will never see mourning. For this reason, in one day her plagues will come. Pestilence and mourning and famine. And she will be burned, with, burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see... The smoke of her burning, standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and every kind of citron wood and every article of ivory and every article made from very costly wood and bronze and iron and marble and cinnamon and spice and incense and perfume and frankincense and wine and olive oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and cargoes of horses and chariots and slaves and human lives. The fruit you long for has gone from you all all things that were luxurious, luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she, has, she was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour... Such great wealth has been laid waste. And every shipmaster and every passenger and sailor, as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance and were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out and weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe, the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you, saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. 
Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will no, and will be found, will not be found any longer. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of the lamp will not shine in you any longer. And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints, and of all who have been slain on the earth. Wow, what a powerful passage of Scripture. Did you hear some repetition in there? I tried to emphasize some of it. It's all over, Revelation chapter 18. What John sees is the fall of the world's economy and how the, tra- the crash happens. Both of these systems, the spiritual one and the economic one, is called Babylon. One is religious Babylon and one is commercial Babylon. Both have the same master and the same end. The master is the beast. The participants are the, the kings and the men of the earth. And yet John sees a spiritual harlot in chapter 17, and he sees a great city in chapter 18 who seduces the world with materialism and prosperity. Its merchants have become rich. They've become drunk on their on her wealth, which flows from the Antichrist economy, and God destroys it in great judgment. Here's how John outlines, or I would outline, what John sees. It's pretty clear whenever you begin to study it. There's God's judgment on the world's economy. There's the economic fall that is announced in the first eight verses. There's an angel and a voice from heaven that makes that announcement. Then there's the economic collapse that's mourned in verses 9 through 20. It goes into great detail describing all of the different parts of the economy to show us how prosperous it was and how the... The merchants of the earth mourn over its collapse. And then there's the economic downfall completed. That's that final scene where there's the hurling of the millstone into into the sea. Let's look at the first one. The economic fall is announced. John sees an angel, a new angel, another angel that appears, and then he hears a voice from heaven. Look if you would at verse 1. After these things, that's after chapter 17, that's one of the ways you know it's a completely different topic. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his, with his glory. And the angel that John sees here is described as very great, very, very powerful, and, and it illuminates the entire world. This angel, now angels don't have glory themselves. All of creation reflects the glory of God. You you are special, not because of who you are, but because you bear the image of God. That's, that's what reflects God's, God's glory. The, the heavens declare the, the glory of God. Um, uh, Brother Jim Van Eaton told us about the, the eclipse that's coming tonight. If you want to see that, that's, it's, it's going to be a, an amazing thing. It's all... The, the heavens declare, reflect the glory of God. This angel has no glory in of himself. He's, he's, he's reflecting the, the glory of God. And that glory lights up the earth. So he says, it's illuminated. The earth was illumined by his glory. He shines brightly, partly because the earth has already been darkened by judgment. The judgments that have already come. But it's also the fact that this... This angel is a powerful angel. He resides close to God's throne. And he's been given a very important work to do. And the angel announces something. The announcement is Babylon the Great has fallen. And he repeats it twice. Look at verse 2. He cried out. He's observed and, and he illumines the earth. And he cries out with a mighty voice saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. Now, some people say or believe that, that he repeats it twice, fallen, fallen, to, to emphasize the two systems. Fallen is the religious system. Fallen is the economic system. I guess that's possible, but I think it's probably more emphasis 
It's like fallen, fallen. It's down and out. It's, it's not rising again. Now, I want you to notice that the angel speaks in, in past tense, but this hasn't taken place yet. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. I mean, this is a future prophecy. This hasn't even happened today. But the angel speaks in, in past tense. That's because all of God's prophecies are timeless. It's as, they're as good as done the moment that they're purposed in his heart before the earth ever was. They will be carried out. So God can speak as if they're already done because there's nothing that can thwart his, his power. And it's very clear that this angel announces something different from chapter 17. This is Babylon the Great. And Babylon the Great is in Revelation 17 and verse 5, but, but it's called the mother of harlots. Babylon the Great in chapter 17 is personified as a woman. And when she's destroyed, she's hated. She's made desolate. She's made naked. And she's burned with fire by the Antichrist himself. But the Babylon of this chapter is a great city. Look, if you would, at verse 10. We read it. Verse 10, standing at a distance because of fear of torment. Woe, woe, the great city. Babylon, the strong city. Look, if you would, at verse 18. And they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? In verse 19. And they threw dust on their heads and were crying and weeping and mourning, saying, Woe, woe to the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by the wealth. It's something different. First is religious, this is economic. And when this one is destroyed, it becomes the habitation of demons. Look, if you would, at the end of verse 2. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, and she has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. He says demons, unclean spirit, and foul birds. He, these aren't three different kinds of demons, but three ways to describe all of them. The point is that they're all going to inhabit this, this city, showing the, the abandonment by God. When it falls, it's divine judgment. God abandons it. God takes his his hand off of it. And when the earth's economic system falls, right before the final day, God will remove the last vestige of his restraining grace. And the people of the earth will be left with nothing but demonic presence. You can go anywhere in the world today, and anywhere there is a strong church, you will see a restraining influence. Wherever the gospel is preached, the light shines and it pierces the darkness. You can see the changes that have taken place even in our country and how sin is more and more prevalent. There's not more sin in people's hearts. It's just now easier to, to manifest because the restraining influence is, is not as strong. Laws have changed. that They don't change the heart, but they, but they restrain the wickedness that's in, man's, that's in man's heart. And here, God's going to take His hand off of everything. The last vestige of restraining grace is going to be gone, and it's only that the world is going to be left like desolate, like a habitation of, of demons. And this judgment comes because of the world's wickedness. Look, if you would, at verse 3. For all the nations, why is this dwelling place of demons? For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now notice what it says, all the nations and the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth. This is not just a judgment of a city, but all the earth. You see that? Babylon, the city, represents the centralized power of the Antichrist. In the same way that people talk today about Wall Street. There's Wall Street. Well, here is 
Babylon the great city. That's the, that's the word for the Antichrist economic power center. But it's going to be all over, all over the world. The entire earth, all nations have passionately participated in this Antichrist system. And John is saying the world has sold its soul to the Antichrist and has become drunk on its sensuality, on its prosperity. Um, visceral things, emotional things, sensual things, the mind being disengaged, pursuing whatever is, whatever, whatever feels good. You ever turn on the TV or listen to people that pontificate and, uh, Maybe some even in government today, and you scratch your head and say, how could someone that ignorant ever become elected to office? Do you ever say that? I say that all the time. And, and that's not just a condemnation of, of them, but the people that, that elect them. There is no thinking anymore. It's all feeling. It's all a passing, a passing fad. It's not just in politics or in the world. It's also in the church the aiming toward the emotions first. Notice I said first. Emotions aren't bad. God gave them to you. They're good. But that's not the target. The target is the mind, the renewing of the mind. And to the extent that, that you understand, then your emotions, your emotions follow. And the merchants of the earth have become rich with wealth, and its sensual, sensuality and the luxury that it brings, the pampering that it brings, the pleasure that it brings. And during the first half of the tribulation, the Antichrist will bring peace and prosperity. That's what's going to help him rise, right? Peace, prosperity, and he's going to be able to do it. They sold their soul for prosperity. People are influenced by their pocketbooks, aren't they? We'll elect leaders who have no morality as long as they promise to bring us prosperity. And in the end, it's going to be worse than it is today. This is a capitalistic system, as I'm going to show you in just a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not slamming capitalism. In fact, I think it's a great form of economics. I think it's probably the one that lines up best with what you see some of the principles in Scripture it promotes personal responsibility. Paul said, if you'll not work, then neither should a man eat. It promotes, it maintains personal property rights. When it says in the book of Acts they had all things common, that doesn't mean that they lived in some kind of Jesus hippie commune. The whole, how do I know that? Because Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their personal property and they weren't struck dead because they didn't give it all to the apostles. They were struck dead because they lied. In fact, Peter says to them, was it not yours to do with as you wished? And yet you've lied against the Holy Spirit. And when that type of system with, with personal responsibility and, and personal property and, and reward... For hard work, when it's operated by spiritual people, then that elevates all people. But when it's not operated by spiritual people, it, it can be deadly. And greed is a powerful sin. And the Bible says to beware of covetousness. It'll lead you to a dark place. I can remember seeing my father cry twice in my life, only two times. And one time was over a family member. And the other time was when a friend who was a who was the owner of a of a brokerage institute uh, institution embezzled all of his fortune, and he didn't know anything about it. Everything that he worked for his entire life was gone in a moment. Proverbs chapter thirty, verses seven and nine says two things I request of you. This is talking to the Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is my portion. Why? That I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? You can become full and then you can forget about the Lord. 
You can get to the place where you have so much that you don't need God, at least you don't think you do. And he's praying against that. Or the other, you know, that I would not be in want and steal and profane the name of, of my God. That's a pretty good, pretty good prayer to pray. And as God abandons the earth in judgment, he'll call his people to flee. Look, if you would, at verse, verse 4. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. There's a great angel and a great voice. And he says, come out of her that you, so that you will not participate in her sins and you'll not receive her plagues. The words from heaven echo the Old Testament. Come out from her. Separate from her. As the, as the children of Israel were told to come out from the from the Canaanites and the pagan cities. Or like Lot was called to, to come out of Sodom, to flee from Sodom. And God calls His people, not only in the Old Testament, but today. God calls you to be separate from the world. Don't get too cute with your Christian liberty that you cross the lines and become way more worldly than God intended you ever to be. Don't get in this, this whole idea about legalism and, and tradition. A lot of people I hear railing against tradition have never kept tradition to begin with. They don't have any tradition to go away from. They never had it to begin with. God causes people to be separate from the world. That's what He does here. You're to be a holy people. You're a peculiar people. You're to be unpolluted and unspotted. Uh, think of the verse that we talked about this morning. I mean, this verse brings everything together. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. It kind of plays, connects to Mark chapter, chapter 12, doesn't it? And this connects to Revelation 18, and to keep oneself unstained, unspotted from the world or by the world. Now think about that. God places pure religion. What He views as pure, what's undefiled in His sight, is caring for people that can't care for themselves, but also being separate from the world. It's pretty strong. And you could read Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. His first coming, the grace of God that brought salvation to all men, teaches us that we're to deny ungodly, worldly lusts. And we're to live soberly, righteously in this present age. And as we do, we're looking for a second coming when we'll stand before, before the Lord Himself. And the voice of heaven calls them to, to do that in two separations. Look, if you would, at verse 4. I heard the voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and not receive her plagues. There are two separations. Separate from Babylon's sins, and then you'll be separated from Babylon's judgment. And today's the same. You need to separate from sins in order to be separate, separate, separated from judgment. Well, there's an interesting question here, isn't there? Think about this. Who's my people? I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people. This is late in the tribulation period, isn't it? Some people will use this verse to say, see, right here is proof that there is no rapture and that God's church is still there right before the very, the very end. And it's true, this is late in the tribulation. And this is true that God says, there are my people that, still, that, that are still located on the earth under this, under this system. But that's an argument from silence. And it's surely not necessary. The My people here are people who have believed during the tribulation period. The rapture doesn't deny that there are going to be people that are, that, that are still going to be here and going to believe during the tribulation period. And in fact, Revelation says that there will be all kinds of people that will believe during the tribulation period. And those people will be called my people, all people are God's people. Revelation 14 tells us 
that God's going to preserve 144 Jewish evangelists that are going to be sent throughout the earth to preach the gospel. They're going to be those who won't take the mark of the beast. They're going to be believers. We saw last time about Revelation 13, Revelation 17, those individuals that are called the elect that will be there during the tribulation period. That's the my people that he's saying here. They've already separated themselves from the world religious system, and now God calls them right before the final collapse to separate themselves from, from this economic system. And the reason for his judgment is clear. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Don't participate in her sins, so you won't receive her plagues. Why are these plagues coming? Verse 5. For her sins have piled up as high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. The world's sins are piled up like bricks, literally glued or welded together. They're stacked up. They reach so high, they, they, they reach heaven. And they're a debt that God owes, a repayment. Verse 6, pay her back, even as she is paid, and give back to her double according to, to her deeds. Sin requires or brings a debt. God's, God's justice has to pay that debt. You'll, you'll, you will be paid back for your sins, or the Lord Jesus Christ will have absorbed them for you. He'll pay that debt if you'll trust in Him. Their debt that God owes a repayment, and, and they're coming back double. The, the cup of iniquity that Babylon, uh, the Babylon filled is now filled twice with divine wrath. There's no mercy for her, is what he's saying. Look at verse 7. She's proud to the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously to the same degree. Give her torment and mourning. How is, how is she proud? How does it, does it describe her, her pride? For, for she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and I am not a widow. I will never see mourning. She's proud and in willful sin. And for that judgment is coming in, in a fierce way. Verse 8, For this reason, in one day, her plagues will come. Pestilence and mourning and famine. She will be burned up with fire. For the Lord God who judges her is strong. And when the fall comes, instead of learning and repenting, the world mourns. That's the second thing that... John sees. John sees the economic collapse being mourned by the kings of the earth. The kings weep, the merchants mourn, and then the saints rejoice. Look, if you would, at verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. The kings are from all over the earth. These aren't just the, the ten horns from chapter 17. They're identified. They participated in, in her spiritual and economic wickedness. They live sensuously. And their grief is twofold. They'll bewail and they'll lament. One is verbal and one's physical. They'll cry out and they'll beat their breasts. It'll be a great expression of, of sorrow. This great sorrow is because the system that, that they trusted in comes down in a thunderous crash. And, and they never thought it would happen. Look at verse 10. They're standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment. They're, they're blown away that God has judged this system. And while they're being secondarily judged, they don't want to get close. And look at what they're saying. What are they surprised about? Whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the strong city. And this is the second time it's said this. For one hour your judgment has come. In one hour. It's called a great city, a strong city, and it falls quickly. Spurgeon said, everything nature weaves, time will unravel. And don't look around and think this world's too big to fall. There's no way that that'll ever happen. Your breath is a, is a millisecond away of ceasing. It's the simplest thought from... From God. He doesn't even have to speak. He can just will it. 
And they're blown away at how quickly, how strong the system seemed, and how fast the judgment comes. And they think that because of how prosperous it was. How prosperous was it? Look at verse 11. The merchants of the earth, they weep and they mourn. Here's the merchants mourning. The political leaders, the emperors, the kings, the presidents. They're blown away at the system, the economic system that comes down. And how fast. And the merchants, the business owners of the earth, they weep and mourn. Because no one buys their cargoes anymore. What were they selling? Well, here's a list. And think of this list. Here's another reference to the economy. Nothing's being bought and sold. And here's the description. Metals of luxury. Gold and silver and precious stones and pearls. Fine fabrics. Costly clothing. Fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. Rich furnishings, wood and ivory and, and brass and every article made from very costly wood and bronze. Expensive perfumes, spice and frankincense, cinnamon in verse 13 and incense and perfume. And abundance of food, there's wine and flour and wheat and cattle and, and sheep. And there's transportation. Cargoes of horses and chariots and, and servants. This is a picture, pictures of a very luxurious, luxurious uh, economy. They're surprised at how quickly it comes down and how quickly something so expansive, so luxurious folds. And look, if you would, at verse 14. And all of this passes away and they, and they find it no longer. The fruit... You long for has gone from you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away from you, and men will no longer find them. It's not going to come back. It's going to go down, and it's going to be out. And everyone who got rich from the economy is, is crying and coveting. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning saying, Woe, woe, the great city, she who was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, there's the reference again, such great wealth has been laid waste. Thousand point drops in the Dow are going to be nothing compared to, to this. And again, they're blown away at how fast it was all it was all lost. Don't you love the Word of God? It's so plain. What will your 4K giant screen TV be worth when there's no electricity or satellite? You're not going to use it as a doormat or whatever. What will your SUV be worth if there's no gasoline to put in it? That's how it's going to happen. People will give the most luxurious things that they own for food and water and shelter. It's exactly as Jesus said it would be in Matthew chapter 24. Hold your finger here. This is the only time I want to have you turn. But turn back to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 37. See if you can't hear the parallel here. This is Jesus in the Olivet Discourse talking about what... It's going to be like in the coming of the Son of Man, right before He comes. Verse 37, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. It's going to be like the days of Noah. What was going on in the days of Noah? For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They're going to be going about their normal routine. They're going to be cooking food. They're going to be eating food. They're going to be drinking. They're going to be going to work. They're, it's all going to be totally normal. They're going to marry. They're going to be given in marriage. Normal functions of the earth will be happening just like they were happening in the days of Noah until the day that Noah entered 
the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Himself. There will be two men in the field working. One will be taken, taken away in judgment, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding, going about their daily business, what they do. They'll be doing it in the mill. They'll be grinding flour or corn or whatever it is, wheat. And one will be swept away, taken away in judgment, and one will be left. Same thing in Revelation 18. In one hour, the whole system falls, and they're going about everything normal. Look at verse 27 of Matthew 24. Look at how Jesus describes His coming. People going to be ready for it? They should be, but they won't be. Verse 27, For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The coming of Christ will be like a lightning flash. Have you ever tried, you hear the thunder and you begin to count? You haven't taught that how far away it is, is, is the lightning, and, and, you're, and you're watching for it, and all of a sudden it, it comes. It's almost surprising, even when you're watching for it. That's how this collapse is going to be. That's how the coming of the Son of Man is going to be. Turn back to Revelation 18. That's fast. That's why you must be ready. <laughs> the Son of Man comes when no man knoweth. And the only ones that will not mourn on that day are those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation chapter 18, verse 20. The kings mourn, they beat their breasts, the merchants mourn and weep, and the saints rejoice. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment. For you against her. You know the other time that the Bible talks about, there's probably others, but the one that I think of, when heaven rejoices, when does heaven rejoice? Over one sinner that repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. And now the angels in heaven are being called, heaven is being called to rejoice over the judgment that's coming. God rejoices, causes people to rejoice over their over salvation, and also rejoice over judgment, because both bring God Glory. And here heaven is called to rejoice. Notice it's because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. It's the end of verse 20. And while the leaders of the earth, the businessmen, the, inhabit the inhabitants marvel at the destruction of all they trusted in, heaven calls for rejoicing. Why? It's not because we should be gleeful at someone else's demise or that God delights in judgment. It's because it was just. This is just judgment. That's what the for you means. It means God has avenged. Literally, God has judged your judgment on them. The, the system abused the saints. These people ridiculed those who preached God's truth. And now in the end, those who, who trusted God are proven right and the rest is laid to waste. And there's one final scene that emphasizes it. The economic downfall is completed. Look, if you would, at verse 21. John sees its finality. He describes the aftermath, what's going to be like after the fall takes place. You ever watched you know, the videos of a, of, a, of a giant building coming down, it rumbles, and then it comes... You know, the, that was... That was planned, by the way, right? Falls and all the smoke bellows down the alleyways. And then there's a calm aftermath. John sees the aftermath, and then he gives the reason that it's coming in verse 24. Look at verse 21. Then a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying... There's a representation of something. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence 
and will not be found any any longer. The judgment's final. John sees a mighty angel throw a millstone into the sea. One of the things I used to like to do whenever I was a kid, we had a we had a pond in the front yard. It was about an acre. I can remember going down there skipping rocks, and you know you could see how long you could, you could skip. One of the other things, if you found a really big boulder, you'd find the deepest part, and you you throw it into the water, and then boom, you know, and you'd see it a big hole open up in the in the water, and and then it would make a big make a big splash, and that was that was fun as a kid. Well, this one's not fun, but it's the same picture, same idea. A millstone is, is not a boulder that a, that a little boy can lift. It's a massive stone that grinds grain that a, that a donkey turns. And the angel is going to hurl it into the water. It symbolizes the overthrow and the disappearance of Babylon. What happens when you catapult a huge boulder into the sea? It makes a big splash, and then it sinks out of sight. It disappears. And what's left is silence. And here's the aftermath in verse 22. Will not be found any longer, and the sound of the harpists and the musicians and the flute players and the trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And craftsmen will not be heard in you any longer, and light in you any longer, and the bride and the bridegroom in you any longer disappears. The once luxurious life has ended, and all normalcies are gone. Do you see that? There's no music. There's no work. The craftsmen. There's no food. There's no meal. There's no light. There's no power. There's no marriage. Why would you get married? And what's the reason for it all? Verse 24. Capstone of the entire passage gives the reason to remind us one last time. And in her, that's in Babylon, the city, in this economic system, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. In this system, there's DNA evidence of the blood of God's people. And God will avenge His people. God ends the bold judgments. Remember? The bold judgments have happened. That's chapter 16. Chapter 17 and 18. Zoom in on these two systems that are going to be destroyed by the seven bold judgments. And God ends all of this right before the coming of Jesus, reminding us one more time that His judgment is just. God is not harsh or cruel. He's not punishing these people because of that. He's doing it because they deserve it. One last time, God reminds us He's a merciful God, but He's also a just God. And with the destruction of the Antichrist religious and world empire, the way is now cleared for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorious kingdom. Chapter 19, verse 1, And after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! <laughs> Salvation and glory and power to our God, because His judgments are true and righteous. For He has judged the great harlot who, has, who was corrupting the earth for her immorality, and He has avenged the blood of His bondservants on her. And the second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders come back and seen, and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Give praise to God, all you bond servants, all the people, you who fear Him, small and great. And then I heard something like a voice of a great multitude and a sound of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him. Why? 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. And we're still doing that right now, aren't we? You're making yourself as the bride of Christ ready, sitting under the Word of God, understanding what it says, keeping yourself unspotted from the world, looking for His glorious appearing. Let's pray. Father, I do thank You for the clarity of Your Word. Father, I thank You for for all of the, the tools that, that You have given us to, to understand it. I thank You for all of the men that have come before me that have preached this passage, that have done the hard work of learning the context and the biblical language and passing things along so that we might be able to understand for hermeneutics. Because you tell us to, to study to show ourselves approved unto you. You tell us that we need to be workmen. that won't be put to shame. Our interpretations won't be put to shame as, as elders were to, be, were to be able to teach. Yes, gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. Apart from that, nothing would be possible. But pursuing that gifting in, in mining out the truth of your word. I thank you, Father, for a church that's committed to the Bible and its right understanding and its proclamation. And I thank you for a church that feeds on the Word and rejoices in that Word. And Father, I pray all of that unto an end, that we wouldn't just know it for knowledge's sake, but we, as we know you, we would love you more, worship you more, and then we would, we would warn others of this day to come. Use us, Father. Use us in the world. Um, that more might be saved and might escape this coming day. Help us not to trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the Lord Jesus Christ and His coming. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.